Welcome, welcome everybody to Why Now, a Yoga Journal original podcast. I am your host, Monica Dina, here with my co-host, Cameron Allen. Cameron, I want to play a quick game with you. Are you down? I'm here for it. Cool. What are five things that you need in order to decompress in this very moment? I need my breath. I need to know what space and time I'm in, and that could get kind of complicated, so I'm not going to go there. Just like what space are you in and how much time do you have? And that will let you know things that you can creatively do to decompress. Also, for me, I need my essential oils. For me, I also need water and I also need nature. I don't know if that was five, but I feel like it was. Love it. I need space. I need um, comfort. I need watermelon. Summertime, I love my watermelon. I need to stay hydrated and I need my dog Remy. If y'all see some of my videos, you might see my little guy Remy making little cameos in the meditations. And I invite y'all to think about what are the five things you need in this moment of existence to thrive. Speaking of thriving, we have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Hala Corey. Hala um, has done so much work in trauma-informed care through a yogic lens. She is the co-founder of Off the Mat Into the World, and she is just someone who has been such an amazing mentor to myself, and I'm so excited to share a bit more about her journey into trauma with you all. Um, and Cameron, I know that you also have a background in trauma-informed care, and so I'd like to you know, just open up this space for you for a moment to just share any reflections you have on how trauma shows up in the body and what are some things that you've done personally to overcome your own trauma? Ooh, yeah, I love that question. So the first thing I always think about when I'm thinking about trauma, I think about getting a strong foundational understanding of childhood development. And I say that specifically because I worked with youth in my trauma-informed care, and I just... Yeah, I have the belief that that's the basis of all things. And then, I mean, some people take it to a spiritual level and say soul and karma. And, and that's cool, too. But, like, let's talk about what happened in this life and how we can help people see their how their unique process has brought them to where they are so they can integrate all those experiences and feel whole within themselves. Because I always envision people as whole. The way I've dealt with my trauma, I like to do, like, a lot of somatic things. So I like to do breath work. I like to move my body and just release the issues in my tissues. That's what I always think. If I, and not an invitation for everybody to feel this way, because this could be a lot, but I always think any restriction or limitation in movement is an issue in my tissue. And I like to liberate that deeply. That's my desire to liberate like just that deep. Wow, I love that. I've definitely been doing a lot of inner child work. I'm a child of trauma, emotional um, and physical. And so just really honoring uh, the younger child in me and allowing her to come through and really listening when, you know, my body's not feeling regulated or when I'm feeling emotionally imbalanced and asking myself where that's coming from. And you know, I want to open that up because I want y'all to really tap and tune into your own feelings, emotions, and space that you're in in this moment and ask yourself, how does trauma, um, how has trauma affected me in my own personal life? So as you listen to this, really, you know, digest and, and apply some of the things that you hear if it, if it feels relevant to you, to your own life. 
want to give a huge shout out and thank you to our sponsor now uh, without now this podcast wouldn't be possible and we also want to extend an offer to our podcast listeners if you are looking for something to add to your wellness toolkit some essential oils maybe some supplements or some herbs head over to nowfoods.com and apply um, the checkout code why now 20 into your cart and get 20 percent off your purchase and without further ado we will tap into an end to holocory holla super excited to be speaking with you today especially during may's mental health awareness month um, I've learned so much about having a trauma-informed yoga practice. And for the folks who aren't aware with your work, would you mind sharing a little bit about what you do and how you came to your practice on the mat? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, so my work has brought together my studies in clinical psychology, somatic psychology, um, yoga, and trauma studies. And you know the way that my work exists in the world right now is that I'm a trauma-informed yoga teacher and a somatic therapist specializing in trauma. Um, and my passion, my passion is healing and building resilience. And so yoga has been a big part of my path. Um, and when I found yoga, I felt like I found a way to be in my, to be, be at home in my body in a way that I never had. Um, but when I found somatic experiencing, which is the methodology that I'm trained in, it helped to explain why the yoga works in a way that my yoga studies did not explain why the yoga works. And so my passion has been to bring together the neuroscience and the psychology and the physiology of the nervous system and resilience into yoga spaces. Um, so I love supporting yoga teachers who are teaching as well as direct service providers and clinicians who are working with folks that might be struggling with trauma. Um, and then, of course, my work in social justice education through Off the Mat Into the World has really um, brought to me, um, or I'm really passionate about bringing folks a viewpoint that also looks at the intersections of injustice and trauma, um, because we really can't separate the two out. So in a nutshell, that's my work. I love that you talk about with Off the Mat Into this World, this concept of navel gazing. You know, when I connect with folks on the mat or in a yoga class or even outside of a yoga class where we have that shared connection and I bring up social injustices or the experiences that I've had. Um, there's this idea that politics and spirituality should be separated. Um, could you give a little bit more of information about, you know, why we need to have this intersectional lens, especially as yoga practitioners? Absolutely. You know, I think that there are certain people that have the privilege to sell to separate politics from their life, right? The, the, the more um, money we have, the more um, education privilege or white skin privilege we have, the less impacted we are by um, things that politics impact, for example, our healthcare, our employment, or our safety. And so I think it's a really privileged position to say that politics and yoga don't mix. And, and I think it's how you define yoga, um, because I think there's folks, some folks define yoga in very different ways. And so for me, yoga is a practice of integration, wholeness, and well-being, um, and consciousness raising. And so 
um, we can't be selectively conscious. I often quote Marianne, Marianne Williamson, who said that when she was you know, running for Senate a while ago. So, you know, some folks have that privilege to say, well, I don't want to think about that stuff because they don't, they're not directly impacted. Um, but if we really want to think about how we can be well, um, we have to understand the ways that these larger systems impact certain people's capacity to be well, their access to good healthcare, their access to clean air and water, their access to safe spaces to live. Um, and also, if we really want to be conscious, we have to be conscious of our social location, um, how we benefit from these larger systems or how we're disadvantaged, as well as how we might be complicit in, in harming others in these systems. And I think that can be overwhelming to folks, quite frankly, especially people who are really well-meaning and maybe found yoga as a way to deal with the chaos in their lives and maybe just started to get a grip on their own personal issues. And I have empathy for like when some, suddenly they're told, no, 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 there's a lot more work you have to do. Um, I can understand that fear. Um, and if we're not doing that, then there's a cost. There's things that we're not thinking about or aware of that might be contributing to our own um, well, our own lack of well-being as well as other people. Yeah, I think especially even, you know, something that I've been able to communicate to yoga practitioners when I try to have this conversation of the spiritual and political is, you know, let's talk about consent. And so for some folks, you know, we think that adjustments are okay and like I'm actually helping someone but we can't really remove the things that we take with us off the mat. Like, all right, I'm going to just leave my trauma at the door. And it's really important, you know, if we want to show up as wellness practitioners to really understand all of the things that people come with. And yes, it's really great to, you know, find stillness in the mind and, you know, really have tools for self-empowerment. And yes, there's also an opportunity for us to tap into our vulnerabilities. And sometimes that when we're on the mat is when we experience those thoughts. Absolutely. And I always say, especially to teachers, is we come to yoga really vulnerable, right? Some folks come to yoga because they want to heal. They want to heal their traumas. They want to heal their emotional wounds. And then when we get on the mat and start to breathe and feel our bodies, oftentimes it comes up. And so absolutely as teachers, we want to consider the humanity of our students and all that our students are bringing with them. It's, it's so vital. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel that deeply. Uh, is there something that you see as a trend or like if you were taking a step back and you wanted to like share insights with uh, the population at mass uh, that practice yoga, what would you say as far as like the intersection between trauma-informed care and yoga? What is it that people potentially are like missing? Um, you know, I think that the answer is different for different people, right? So for some folks, there can be a feeling of I'm doing yoga so I can sort of try to control everything. I mean, I know that's what brought me to yoga was I felt so out of control. And so I used yoga to tighten that control. Like I was going to control my breath and I was going to control my diet and I was going to control my body. <laughs> and I got really into a shtanga. It was very precise. Now, that didn't address my trauma, but you know what? It was a healthier way to cope than like trying to control my food in a different way and control the people around me. So I just transferred my control issues onto yoga. Um, and because I wasn't necessarily practicing with teachers that were asking me to look beneath the surface, I was just getting praised for doing a lot of fancy yoga poses and memorizing yoga sutras and looking really spiritual. 
it didn't actually touch what was underneath for me. And this is why I say that for me, training in yoga did not get to my trauma because I didn't find those teachers. I found teachers that were very kind of dissociative. It was about these spiritual enlightenment goals that did not ask me to dig deep into myself. They, they like allowed me to jump over myself and kind of dissociate. So, you know, what I'd say to folks is that for me, like an integrated practice of consciousness, whether it, it doesn't have to be yoga, like, you know, it can be anything is a practice that puts us in touch with ourselves and has us face what's uncomfortable um, in a really compassionate, kind way. Um, for some folks, they're overwhelmed by trauma symptoms, right? So some of us are walking around totally shut down, like, I'm fine, I got it, right? And that we have enough privilege to like play that in the world, right? And then there's others who are like, I'm so messed up, I'm so overwhelmed, I feel so ashamed. They're overwhelmed, right? So for those folks, there's also, there can be a lot of shame or fear about entering yoga spaces. Um, they might think, this is not for me. Look at everybody, they're so put together, right? Or they're so wealthy, thin, white, whatever it is they see. Um, so I think that some folks also need like permission to like be messy and realize that the process is messy. So I often think of the two ends of the spectrum. Um, and the, the less, the, the, the more that we understand that everybody has their own kind of trauma, the less stigma that we have around trauma, the more that I think that folks are gonna be seeking that kind of support and for those holding space, understanding that they need to understand, they need to understand how trauma operates in themselves as well as in their students. That was beautiful. I love that. In that, even just, you know, that I always invite people in like my workshops and people I work with, their spectrum. You're like being mindful of the spectrum. That's so beautiful that you highlighted that because it does allow people to see both sides of the pole and know that there's this broad range in between and like and just by knowing that there's a spectrum and having that mode of perception, we can come to like a greater awareness of the different variations of how things show up. So that's beautifully put. And I love that so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it also like gives us compassion for each other, right? To, to be like, oh, I deal with it this way. And this other person who maybe I want to judge or I don't understand, oh, they just deal with it a different way, right? And so we, it, it's also a way to like just not be a jerk, right? Because... It, to me, a trauma-informed perspective is about empathy and compassion. Um, and when I catch myself wanting to judge somebody, I pause now and I go, well, what's going on for them? And maybe that wouldn't be how I would handle something, but that's the best they've got in this moment. So it's yeah. also about like touching into our own humanity. Yeah, beautifully put. And even, you know, taking, taking it off the mat and it being about non-attachment, you know, and then contemplation, just like observing that, it's still just a part of the practice overall. So definitely highlighting that. And also there's something going on in our society where we do in some way, especially spiritual communities, we're like lacking somatic intelligence. Yes. And that's like something really huge I see out here, especially with, you know, the way we treat our bodies, the way we look at our bodies, the way we feel into our emotions or lack thereof really. And even like malnutrition, lack of nourishment. So that somatic intelligence uh, piece of it that you that you were speaking on just was beautifully put. I like that. Yeah. Well, I think that like being dissociated can look really spiritual, right? Like, Oh, I don't feel anger. I don't think negative thoughts. Like, you know, if you wear the beads and say the mantras, it can be, it can look really spiritual and it's very attractive. I mean, believe me, I spent years trying to get out of my body. I was like really like a crystal and I can float out to like some zen out place. Sign me up for that. Like, 
I didn't want to be in there, you know? And so I very much tried to subscribe to those um, belief systems of like, you you chant this thing or you do these three things and then you're like enlightened and it didn't work. Like at the end of the day, I had to sit with myself and there I was. Um, and so I think somatic intelligence, you know, is this like in the body experience, like in this world experience, which is like dirty and messy and it's not clean. And I feel like yoga can be a tool for us to be with the unpredictability and the messiness of life. And, 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 and like, I wanted yoga to be a way that I could control it and not have to deal with it. <laughs> um, but that's not the case. I love that so much. Yeah, that always, it just brings me to like the thinking about like, regulate like self-regulation and co-regulating and how that's you know a lot of times when it comes to especially when people are getting emotional i see a lot of times people are like going off to their self and not knowing how to co like how not knowing how to self-regulate i guess what the question i really have is the role in our society of like codependency and like how people can come to more alignment within themselves or like a simple way to learn how to begin to self-regulate. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think that you bring up some good ideas about like our self-regulation and what co-regulation is, right? That we need each other. We need other people. And it's really hard to be okay alone. Um, We can have like a certain amount of okayness alone, especially for introverted or more shy. And we get fed by that alone time. But being alone feels much better when it's a choice. It's the difference between like solitude and loneliness, right? And I think that we're sold this um, this like myth of individualism in Western culture that says like, you can do it alone, you shouldn't need anybody. Um, and I think that that's really toxic. And I, and I don't wanna idealize collectivist cultures. I mean, collectivist cultures are all about the we, but often there's a lot of oppression in those cultures because individual rights are lost. But I, I, I'm always curious about that place in between where we respect our individual individuality, but we also really know and honor our interdependence. Um, and we, are, we, we understand that part of being well is figuring out how to be well together. And that if we're not well together, there's a cost for everybody. So, you know, even if I'm well with just the people in my immediate circle, if I'm holding biases or judgments against other groups of people, that's actually dehumanizes myself, you know, in order for me to dehumanize somebody else. And so this is where that politics piece comes in of like, are we thinking about these systems we're in? Are we thinking about people that are not in our social circle or our our cultural circle? And not that it's your responsibility, uh, right? We all have to do our piece. Um, But um, when we can find a way to be well, Um, you know, I think about it a lot, like two blocks from my home is an entire tent city right now of homeless folks because they got kicked off the beach. Right. And I could drive by and like ignore them and like pull up to my like nice little house, but that's like dehumanizing those folks. Right. And so my way, there's lots of different ways, but my way is like, I pull over once a week. I ask folks what they need. I gather stuff. I talk to people. I ask them what's going on. I'm trying to build relationships so that I'm not dehumanizing them and then dehumanizing myself, right? I'm not suggesting everybody needs to do it that way, but are we, are we, are we like deeply present to everything around us or are we building walls so we don't have to see certain things? And so self-regulation requires us to be well together and requires us to understand that the way we are with each other impacts our well-being. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of an interview I had 
um, a few years ago with a Berkeley professor named John Pell. Mm. He spoke on, um, he has something called beloved community. And he spoke on this concept of belonging and togetherness. Yes. Long and then also within yourself, but also have this interconnection with other folks. And I think that's, that's super important, especially when people think that when we self-identify or when we have our own unique perspectives that we're actually distancing ourselves from the greater collective and community, but it's really having a sense of belonging in our place in that community and how we can continue to cultivate that togetherness by having, you know, bringing different voices to the table. That's how we have intersectionality. That's how we have diverse conversations by allowing other folks to have their voice and speak. Absolutely. Yeah, and I love that concept of beloved community. You know, Bell Hooks talks about that as well. And, um, you know, it's such, a, it's such a beautiful phrase of like, if that is our goal and to see ourselves in each other. And, you know, for me, the term intersectionality is, is about complicating our ideas of power and privilege and oppression and advantage and to see that it's not a binary and that everybody is unique, right? And so, you know, I know when I first started to really understand the role of power in our culture, I was like, bring down the white man, like, you know? And I actually did a lot of harm because I was just replicating on the other side uh, exactly what I wanted to fight. I was like, we're just gonna find that group and like, we'll hate that group and then we'll all be better than that group, right? And, but it's taken me a while in my own soma and my own body to not, Feel like that yet like that self-righteousness when I see somebody from like a dominant group doing something that I don't like like you know understanding that people are complicated power matters and so some people are in a position to create more harm um, and each time I dehumanize anybody especially the person I want to like hate the most I'm not actually practicing what I say yoga is right or, or like I'm not practicing and that intersectionality that People who do harm have been harmed, right? And so I think that a more nuanced analysis allows us to not replicate these systems that divide us, but rather think about something brand new. It's, and it's not easy at all. And especially, you know, somebody who carries a lot of privilege in her life, I'm kind of like, you know, it's not easy for me. And then I think about people that are beaten down my life even more. And I'm like, I get it. I get feeling so angry and not being able to humanize those folks, but I know I'm moving a little bit on a tangent, but you did ask me the question. <laughs> so, you know, intersectionality for me is about not competing about who has it worse, seeing the humanity in everybody and keeping it complicated in a way that allows us to not, um, not fight in a way that's not useful and divides us more. Yeah. So I was super blessed. I'm not sure if you know this, but I was super blessed to actually take your yoga for self-regulation and trauma course, one of the previous recordings. And I had a huge breakthrough because when I think about coping mechanisms or how we respond to trauma, just like something that I think everyone knows is like that flight or flight response, like that's constantly spoken about. And then I read the freeze response that you had in there. And that was like, that literally changed the way that I worked. It literally, it was like a whole life changer because I'm constantly, I'm a chronic procrastinator and I'm always asking myself, like, why do I have to get to that moment of like pressure in order to complete something? Like, where is it? I'm just 
you know, all of these things that I say to myself, these negative connotations, not realizing, like, that's probably a trauma response. Like, you've been conditioned to freeze when you're feeling in a state of pressure. And so I would love to hear different ways that people have experienced trauma um, that they may not realize that they're actually, that is a trauma response. Mm. So you mean like, what are, what are ways that PPF people might experience? You know, I think that, <clears throat> you know, a trauma informed lens asks us to think about everything that we do as an attempt to self-regulate, right? So, hmm, why do I wait to the last minute? And then when I wait to the last minute, what happens? So that lens, um, you know, I was just talking to my son about it, who's a big procrastinator for him. He, and he's 12, by the way, but, you know, he's only motivated to do the work when there's like very little time and he has to rush, right? That's what like, it gets him out of his, you know, his, his sort of like, whatever, his brain fog, right? Um, so I think that when we reflect on our behavior without judgment, but rather with curiosity, right? Like, huh, like, that's interesting that I do that. That's interesting that my shoulders free up, freeze up or I stop feeling anything. Um, whether it's connected to a major trauma in our personal life or an ancestral trauma, or it's something in our temperament, right? It almost doesn't matter what the root is, but we can start to have compassion that we're all just trying to figure out how to be okay. And some of our coping mechanisms are old and they don't really work. They kind of undermine our well-being over time. Um, and some, some do work well. And so I feel like that's what you did, Monica, is you got information and you suddenly then uh, you observed yourself from a place of, oh, this is me trying to self-regulate. Huh, there might be something underneath there that's going on for me. Um, and so, you know, I remember having a client who was a yogi and she has uh, PTSD. And one day we were working together and she, you know, we were gonna do some breath work and she like stopped, she had been rocking, right? And I said to her, well, what happens when you stop rocking? She goes, oh, my anxiety skyrockets. I said, well, it looks like the rocking is you self-regulating. She was like, oh my God. Like her whole life, she felt bad in yoga because she liked to rock. And it's like, no, you're regulating yourself. Why do you have to sit still? Who, who said that, you know? Um, and so I think that, you know, we're often self-regulating and we don't realize it. I'm cracking up over here because in my meetings or just in my regular day-to-day, -day, like right now I'm shaking. <laughs> And people have literally put their hands on me. Like, this is before I had, like, that lens of, like, don't do that. Right. <laughs> They're like, stop shaking. And I'm like, okay, like, and I feel really guilty about it. But, you know, on planes, people next to me have asked me, like, can you stop shaking? And can you just stop that? Like, you're doing yeah. that for this too, right? Yeah, and it's this, this fidget that I have, but it's helped me incredibly. Yeah. Um, you know, in my work and something that I've realized is showing up unapologetically. Yeah. Who would have guessed that that could up-level your work? Amazing. Amazing. I love that. Yeah. And it's almost like your body is having this impulse. And if you're doing the impulse, but then feeling guilty about it, you're actually stopping it, right? Versus letting it move through you in whatever way is appropriate. Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely the natural intelligence of the human body. That's that somatic intelligence. It's, we're breathing and I'm not thinking about breathing. And I have tension and now I'm releasing it by tapping my foot, you know. Because, I mean, even, I always tell people, I'm like, think about a dog or a cat. Like, when you scare it, what does it, like, automatically do, like, right after it? It, like, shakes it off. Exactly. 
and the more that we can like teach people that that and normalize that, oh man, it, it's it's so profound, you know. Absolutely. I mean, that's how animals in the wild they discharge their stress, right? And so. Mm -hmm. We're taught to be civilized, right? We're taught like you got to have it together. And so, so many of us are holding on, trying to appear normal, right? But this concept of normal, you know, you know, thinking about this for Mental Health Awareness Month, right? So I, there's a really interesting book I read last year called Normal Sucks. And the author talks about how the word normal was, is relatively new and was in our culture. And it was like in the late 1800s that the world start, word started to be used. And there was this huge experiment, research study, um, done to try to define what normal was and it was done at Harvard on Harvard students It was called the Harvard study of normal students. So who who's normal white men, right? Because Harvard did not allow people of color or women at, and so it's an inter again when we talk about politics or history and well-being right like even the psychological idea of normal is based on a particular group of people right that's since changed and biases are, are challenged in social science and all that but um, but it still lives in our psyche this idea there's this normal thing and even people who fit the idea of normal are harmed by that because they don't actually fit that right so this big secret that like nobody's actually normal is <laughs> really important that we get out there with everything that's going on in the world right now I would love to know ways that you find stillness and decompression into your life with this shelter in place thing. Um, I mean, I will say my life is a little stiller um, having to be home. And so again, I have the privilege of being able to work from home and my kids are doing online school. So on one level, I'm not running around like flying places and organizing the kids and doing a million things. Um, and on another level, um, you know, I don't have as much space for like my own headspace. Um, and so for me, um, movement, uh, I don't do a lot of still. I'm like a mover. Um, and I've actually found that I need to have more vigorous physical practices to let my nervous system then really slow down because I'm not utilizing physical energy in the same way throughout my day. I'm, I'm home. So I've actually been doing more dance classes online and even going like on little runs and, um, you know, trying to find body positive workouts. So for me, I've noticed if I can really move just for 30 minutes a day, then I can find stillness in my movement. Um, I've also, I have a coloring book sitting on my coffee table that is like if I, when I'm doing my like, I can't sit still thing instead of like cleaning more or micromanaging my family or going to emails, I sit at the coloring book. And then I'm getting to do something that is really regulating and settling. So I've been trying to, I'm not like a crafty person at all, but I've been trying to create art projects that are like places where I can feel like I'm turning chaos into order um, and beauty. They're not that beautiful. I'm not that crafty, but it's about the, pro and I'll say this to anybody who's not crafty. It doesn't have to look pretty. It's about the process, right? It's not about the final thing. So uh, as somebody that um, doesn't find that sitting in meditation is always helpful and also often is not conducive because I'm living with small kids and in a loud place, sitting and coloring or sitting and making art allows me to pull my energy in a way that is super grounding for me. And of course, yoga and of course, breath work. I mean, those are the things I take for granted, but th these are the things I've had to add with this shelter in place. What would you suggest for people who are wellness practitioners, um, yoga teachers, et cetera, who are holding so much space for others? 
what are ways that they could find stillness and ways that they could even, you know, navigate through their own unpacking as they support so many others? You know, I think it's, um, if you are holding a lot of space for people, it's very important that you have places where somebody's holding space for you. Um, you know, it's interesting because one thing I do is I throw up yoga classes online and I don't do anything the teacher is saying. And I'm like laughing at myself. I'm like, why, why do I even put the video up? But, but I, cause I just want somebody else holding the space, you know, cause I'm that girl. I go to yoga classes and I just kind of go in the back and kind of do my own thing with respect to the, you know, being respectful to the teacher. So, um, so I, that actually, it's like, I noticed that I was like, why do I do that? Why do I, I don't need the video on. I'm at home in my bedroom, but just having a feeling that like, this is a live class right now. I know other people are practicing and I'm in, I'm in virtual community because I'm holding space for others all day long. So it's, it's funny because all the, all the exercise that I do, I like you do all these videos because I just want somebody else to tell me what to do, even if I'm not doing what they say. Um, and, and I would say, you know, I feel like it's really important when we're holding space for suffering to have an awareness of what our own relationship to suffering is. And if we think that it's our job to make other people's suffering go away, we're going to burn out really, really quickly. And so how do we understand that suffering is a part of life and that when we're a healer or a teacher, we're, we're basically bearing witness onto people and accompanying them, right? That, that's, those are the, that's the way I think about it. I'm not here to fix people and take away their suffering, um, but I'm there to be present with them. And so are we doing that for ourselves? Are we letting ourselves have our own suffering? Are we letting others hold us in that? Um, and so I don't know if stillness is the goal. I think the goal is like, uh, for me is like, am I maintaining, am I able to maintain a hopefulness? Um, because if I'm not, it's going to be hard for me to hold space for other people. Yeah. And I even like to highlight for people that I work with, especially people who are like starting to learn, trying to learn how to meditate, uh, like just reframing the word stillness because stillness doesn't mean that we're not moving. Yeah. Right. Even like that reframe. Exactly. Like you were telling, you were telling us, like you were dancing and that's how you found your stillness, but you were moving while you were still. And that's just another reflection of that spectrum that we're talking about. And the more that we like, uh, invoke that into like our way of thinking and our mode of perception, the more, like you were saying, things can stay complicated and nuanced and we can all like move forward in that direction together. Yeah. Yeah. I often say that like, if, if we can't, if we can't um, be still like inside of ourselves, our movement is like an avoidance of the stillness, right? But when we find that stillness inside, our movement is like an expression, is a creative expression. And so it's about that. It's about like being centered in ourselves, right? Not avoiding ourselves. Then we can be like, quote unquote, still while we're moving. Last question for you, Hala, before we leave today's podcast episode. Would love to leave folks with some resources, um, some books or tools or suggestions if people want to start to get more into the somatic practices and how they could self-regulate. What are some resources that you found that were super helpful when you started your journey? Um, you know, most of my training was with um, Peter Levine. And so he has a really beautiful book called In an Unspoken Voice. Um, and that really lays out the theory of somatic experiencing. Um, he's got a bunch of really wonderful books. And in terms of the somatic practices, um, you know, I've built a lot of resources because I didn't have a lot, you know, back then I didn't have a lot of direct resources. And so um, I also have resources for folks. Um, 
yoga videos. I'm this month launching a membership community where every month I'm giving people somatic practices and reflections and tools uh, because that I feel like that's my life's work is to like make these tools as accessible to as many people as I can. Um, so that's a resource for people. Healing Trauma with Yoga by David Emerson is a good one for trauma-informed yoga. Um, and there's a bunch of new ones that came out and I have the titles. I'm missing them right now because they're kind of newer books, but I can send them to you to share with your listeners some other time. So honored to have you on today's episode. Thank you for all of that you do. And how can folks keep in touch with you? Where can we find you? Um, they should just go to my website, halakori.com. Um, and if they sign up for my email list and, um, and then they'll have an opportunity to sign up for the membership if they want. You know, the membership is, by the time you all listen to this, it will be all launched and ready to go. Um, and I really do feel like, especially with this pandemic, I'm, I'm committed to just creating as many online resources for people as I can. And so that really is my work, is to support both students and teachers and everybody to be regulated and resilient. So thank you so much for having me on here. It's so fun talking to both of you. Thank you, Hala. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. This was great. So nice to meet you, Cameron. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, I really love that conversation. And I always, after conversations like that, I always invite people to come back to their body and make sure they give themselves space and give themselves time to integrate uh, whatever emotions might have come up because it can be a lot sometimes. And it comes up, and not even to say that it came up right now, it could even come up later. So, just find awareness around where you're at and where you're going to be at for the next, you know, few days or hours. And so you can like settle into, yeah, creating space for yourself. And I'm just going to do a little meditation so we can find some sort of integration. So wherever you're at, if you can find a seated position, just take a seat and relax. Begin to tune into the breath. Only the breath. Feel it flow through your body. Now envision roots, roots coming out of your feet into the ground and breathe into those. On the in-breaths, bring energy up from the earth. On the out-breath, allow yourself to release. And allow the energy to begin to move up from the feet to the calves. Feeling into your calves, into your shins. Open invitation to wiggle your toes, move around how you need to. Remember, this is your space and this is your time. Feel fully integrated and present in this moment. From the calves, move, the energy moves up to the knees, circulating around the knees, maybe even taking your hands and putting them over the knees, rubbing around them gently allowing some warmth and comfortability and stability within your body, accessing a deeper connection through touch. 
allow the energy to move from the knees to the front of the legs, to the back of the legs, and allow that to feel the connection with your sit bones. Really settle into that. See where you can find more space in your posture or just in your body. Taking a few deep breaths there. Now from the hips and the pelvic floor, take it from the base of the spine up, up into the solar plexus region above the navel and feel how it's connected, connected to the pelvis, connected to the root, feel the wholeness, feel back into your knees and how that's connected to the pelvis and the legs and the solar plexus, the navel point. And allow the energy to move up, up into your heart space. Seeing how much access you have to your ribs, maybe wiggle around a little bit, integrating more. Taking another deep breath, bringing it up to the throat. Maybe moving your neck around a little bit, just allowing more space and integration from the throat up to the third eye point to the to the Ajna chakra. Take a few deep breaths there and allow yourself to envision yourself whole in this moment. And we always have to remember that's the only time that we have to feel whole. It's always in this moment. And allow the breath to go up to the crown, to the top of the head. Take another deep breath there. And then an open invitation to slowly on your own time, while you're in your own space, allow the energy slowly, slowly and steadily descend back down on the out breaths, releasing everything that does not serve you. On the in breaths, allowing the support from the roots to play their part again and just knowing that this is always accessible to you and that you are always whole. Take all the time you need and stay blessed. Thank you so much, Cameron, for that grounding moment of stillness, for allowing us to really embody this theme of decompression, this 2020 theme for the Live Be Yoga Tour. Invite you all to continue to rest, as Cameron mentioned. And whenever you're ready to set your intention for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, remember why we're here and why you're here to do your own sacred work. 
and know that your presence is so important to our collective healing and liberation and we hope that this particular episode can help be a guide in that sacred journey until next week y'all peace